0: Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships,
1: sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson
0: Fife. Hey everyone, from now through Labor Day, we're having a buy one, get one 50% off sale on all of my online courses. Click on the link in the show notes for details.
1: All right, you guys, welcome to the podcast episode this week. This week, we get to have an interview with Jennifer finlayson Fife, and I'm so excited and so grateful that she is here. If you follow me on Instagram, you see that I reshare her stuff all the time. <laughs> and I always say, yes, Jennifer. Yes. And, uh, anyways, just a big fan over here. Um, she is, well, I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself in, in a second too, but she is a teacher, a psychologist, helps people specifically in the LDS space who, you know, work through their sexuality. So is there anything that you would like to say to introduce yourself?
0: Let's see. I'm married and have three kids who are all kind of teenagers and young adults. So They're a good part of my life. And let's see, I mostly do a lot of teaching and coaching people on how to develop in ways that allow them to be capable of intimate relationships. So, both emotionally intimate and physically intimate. And what are the keys to really creating solid, happy, intimate relationships? So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And you sell a number of courses. Yes. Have a, Mm -hmm. a
0: podcast membership hmm That's right. So I, I have the podcast archive, which this will be on in addition to yours. So that's just the interviews that I've done with lots of different people. But then I have something called Room for Two, which is a subscription podcast where I'm doing coaching and working with couples on issues in their relationship that are interfering with their happiness. And so I'm helping people to deal with what's going on in their sexual relationship or what's going on in their relationship with their in-laws and how that's interfering with their happiness, that kind of thing. And then I have online courses that are there for people to develop for their self-development, their sexual development, and then couples courses that help people to figure out together what's interfering with their marriage being happier or their sexual relationship being more mutual and desirable.
1: Yeah, nice. And we'll link a lot of that in the show notes too. So if you're interested and want to go check out more of her work, I would highly, highly recommend it. We're going to talk today specifically about using our sexuality for good. My listeners know that we talk a lot about decreasing sexual shame and I want to take it even a step further. So not just sexually isn't not bad, but how can it Mm -hmm. also be good? Good. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, we'll answer some juicier questions Mm -hmm. (laughs) that come up around masturbation and making sexual choices. So, Mm -hmm. so we'll talk about today. So first, first question, first thing I'd like to discuss is just, you know, sexuality, it tends to get a bad rep, especially (laughs) among men. Mm -hmm. And so if we talk, you know, taking it a step further, how can sexuality be good? How would you answer that?
0: Well, I guess the kind of Quick way to say it is that sexuality is just a part of being a human being. We just are sexual from birth, it's just inherent to being human. And so, if you are relating to your sexuality and your embodiment and your partner, your spouse, in loving ways, right, through your sexuality, that will create good. Mm -hmm. if you're in contradiction, if you're indulgent, if you're exploitative, if you're abusive to yourself or another person, if you're letting yourself be taken advantage of through sexuality, those will all accrue to weakness and pain. So we can't really get out of the moral conversation around sexuality because we just are sexual. It's Mm -hmm. not really an option The question is whether or not our choices are creating strength and peace within us and in our relationships, or are they creating division and friction and fear? Then it's working against us. So it's one of those things you can't just escape it because even saying, I'm not going to deal with my sexuality can accrue to your weakness and unhappiness in a relationship.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of my listeners know that too. Even when they try to push it away and make it go away, typically mm-hmm. porn use will increase down the road mm-hmm, mm-hmm. too. And, yeah. and what a what a different perspective that is too, that other than, you know, any sexual experiences we do have with our spouse or our person, it's not just to tame right. something that's there, but it really can create goodness.
0: That's That's right. So exactly. A lot of people are operating from the model that sex is this necessary evil. Yeah. And I think as you're alluding to, a necessary evil in men in particular, like women are better because we're less sexual, that kind of idea. And so men are these hedonistic, self-serving sexual beings. And so we maybe create good by helping them manage this yeah. negative part of themselves. Yeah. And you know, I work with a lot of people who kind of do see it that way. Like I'm putting out so that you won't look at porn yeah. And therefore, I'm doing something good. Mm-hmm. But it's just a very, very limited idea. And also, the idea that sex is inherently indulgent and bad, and that sex, in a way, is stronger than the man himself. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he needs a woman there helping him manage this beast. Mm-hmm. I, it's all, it's a framing that actually keeps sexuality as an untamed beast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the message that sometimes.
1: My clients or listeners hear from church leaders, which is just when you get married, this will go away. <laughs> you get married, you won't have to deal. You with... don't hear about it so much, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: You'll have someone to mm-hmm. help you so that you aren't like wanting pornography. <laughs> right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. You, I see what you're saying. They're saying they hear this idea that when they get married, that their wife will then kind of be the antidote or their husband if they're if it's a woman struggling, yeah. Will be the antidote to the struggle. Yeah. Right. And and that's just not necessarily true at all. Cause it's not really a need gratification issue. Mm-hmm. It's more about a self, how one's in relationship to oneself and one's sexual nature. That's really the issue. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So what, I mean, obviously like in your marriage and creating a, a better relationship in your marriage is a way that we can use our sexuality for good. But does anything else come to mind when we say that? Like, how do we use our sexual nature for good?
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. It's a way that I've said it, the very way you're saying it. But I think I might say it slightly differently, which is how can I be in relationship to my embodied nature Mm. in a way that creates peace and capacity in my life? So if i'm rejecting of my body, i'm critical of my body, if i'm terrified of my capacity for pleasure, if i feel like just being an attractive sexual being makes me a little suspect or a little too something, you know, that's not going to create good because it's already relating to one's inherent nature as if it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people come by this honestly, of course, they learned in their own families to be afraid of their bodies, to be afraid of their capacity for pleasure. Perhaps they have suffered some sexual abuse and therefore are afraid of their sexual nature because maybe they think they brought that abuse upon themselves. So I'm not saying like that people are being dumb. They come by those meanings, honestly, But that's often a meaning they've inherited without even realizing that it's creating a division within themselves and a kind of anxiety within themselves that obscures their ability to be at peace or obscures their spiritual clarity.
1: Yeah. So if I'm to reframe. Yeah. It's not just using sexuality for good, for like something that's out of us, but even more so for for ourselves, for something that's in us to feel. Yes, to feel like the true nature of ourselves and acceptance and love and at peace
0: with this part of us that can't go away. That's supposed to be there, right? Like it is a kind of self development and even a spiritual developmental reality to say I like my body. I'm grateful for my genitals. I know that mm-hmm. sounds weird to people, probably, but like to truly feel that way, yeah. I'm grateful for the sensual part of me. I'm grateful for my ability to feel and to dance and to feel attraction and to feel attractive. And, you know, I think so many of us are so afraid mm-hmm. of pleasure and so afraid of making the wrong choice that we just, don't feel grateful we feel like I, you know i've had clients say to me i i wish i could just suffocate this desire entirely within me yeah because then i would be happier mm-hmm. and yeah. so you know i again we come by this honestly but god gave us our bodies god gave us sexuality not to torture us but because it's good and so can we be grateful for this capacity within us, grateful for our imperfect and lovely, amazing bodies. You know, uh, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and many of the Renaissance artists were doing something rather radical for the time, which was a kind of open celebration of the physicality of human beings. And the thinking of the Renaissance, and this was one expression of it, was that we come to know God through celebrating what God created, which is the human form. And so there's much more kind of open embracing of the sensuality and the physicality of human beings in a lot of Renaissance art and sculpture. And so I think that That's something in our more puritanical interpretations we're more afraid of. I think we kind of give the Puritans a little bit of a bad rap, but but I think, because I think there was also room for sexuality in a way it was more Victorian where there was more anxiety about sexuality, but there is a kind of fear of it, that it will bring us down, that it will make us irrational, that it will just be destructive. And that fear actually interferes with us making solid wise decisions, right? If we think, oh, it's bad if I like sweets, it's bad that I even want them. That's a horrible, shameful thing. That actually makes you less able to make solid decisions around your relationship to pleasure with food because you're so busy shaming and hating yourself rather than, no, my ability to have pleasure through food is a great thing. But I don't want to be decadent and so pleasure focused that I undermine my happiness, nor do I want to be so repressive and afraid of pleasure that I undermine my happiness. Mm -hmm. So how can I be in relationship to a pleasure that accrues to good things in my life? I think that's the framing ideal. Yeah. And so I can hear people thinking, I can hear
1: my listeners thoughts. Yeah. Where they're like, okay, but like, what if I'm single? (laughs) Like, am, am I yeah. not just supposed to like, what what do I do with this? If I'm single and I, and I've been taught
0: all these things. Yeah. Well, I don't think those are necessarily easy questions, but I think it's also true. I'll say one thing and then I may back it up a little bit, but sure, you also have to deal with your sexuality and make wise choices with it, even when you're married. Okay. So I'm not denying that there's a different context if you're in an active, meaningful sexual relationship, because you, there is a different context. And so I'm not denying the biological pressures of sex that do exist. But one of the things that I see go terribly wrong in marriage is that people think, well, now I'm married and now I don't, you're now my legitimate outlet wife, Mm -hmm. for example, now you know, I I have needs now and I can't manage myself. And so you should be managing it for me. The point I'm trying to make is that we are always, always moral actors and responsible for what our choices mean for us. And that's true in marriage also. And that may be like Somebody single might be like, well, duh, of course it is. But no, but I do I do get messages of people saying, Well, my my spouse won't do X, Y, or Z. So what am I supposed to do? Right. Exactly. So this is where I see a lot of people coming to me because they're trying to get their spouse to be the right spouse rather than kind of tolerate the moral decision making that's inherently theirs if they're in a marriage with somebody who doesn't like sex or doesn't want to have sex or whatever it is. So we are kind of always up again or you can be attracted to somebody else while you're married, or you can even be in a good sexual relationship and still want to look at porn or still want to have an affair. Meaning people have lots of moral decisions that they're up against. And this need gratification model is not very helpful. Yeah. Right. That's this idea. Like once I get married, I'll have my needs gratified. Therefore porn won't be an issue anymore. And you know the the spouse is supposed to be the need gratifier, and she's doing a terrible job. <laughs> that if you make it about need gratification, your spouse doesn't feel desired because they're just a they're just there to manage a need. Yeah, where the marriages that thrive are when people can really make deliberate and thoughtful choices about loving through their sexuality, about who they're going to be, that creates something strong within them and in their partnership, and. So that's an active process of making decisions. And I think a lot of times people ask me this question because they're saying, well, well, tell me what's the right thing to do. And I think the only thing I can say is you are up against moral decisions around how you're going to be in relationship to your sexuality as a single person. But shaming it, I don't think would be a good idea. Being deliberate and thoughtful about your choices and what they accrue to would be a good idea. And the more that it's your decision, the less it creates limitation within you. So, when I was doing my dissertation research, I was interviewing LDS women who had grown up in the church and talking to them about their premarital experiences. And then what their transition into marriage was like a big finding or variable was how women thought about their choices premaritally had a lot to do with what sex meant to them in marriage. So there were some women who had a lot of shame around sexuality. Shouldn't do this. Sex is a bad thing. They were actually the least able to manage the pressures around sexuality premaritally because they felt so much shame and anxiety about who they were. And then they were kind of being sexual maybe when they didn't even want to, to try and earn a guy's approval and that kind of thing. And then they felt like this terrible thing. I don't want to bring this scary, bad thing into marriage. I want to keep it outside of marriage because it's a bad thing in my life. Women, there were women who were conservative in their choices out of kind of rejection of sexuality. They also didn't transition well. Then there were women who were rather conservative in their choices, premaritally. like they made a decision, like, I don't want to do a, B and C. I want to preserve it for a commitment, Mm -hmm. but that was out of a place of Mm self-definition, not out of shame and fear. Mm -hmm. And so like, they moved very comfortably into marriage because it was like, okay, this is what I want. This is, I never had an issue with being sexual. I just was being deliberate in how I made choices and this fits what I desire. And so it was all there for them, right? Because it wasn't put underground under, you know, heaps of shame and rejection and fear. And so that deliberateness and that kind of conscious, if you think of yourself as the driver and the architect of your life, it has a much different impact, even when you're making sacrifices or you're making inconvenient choices. Knowing that you're the one defining your life is the biggest and most important variable. Yeah.
1: So, something I say is instead of like, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't, like, how about choosing not to? Are you choosing? That's not right. To? Like, what are you choosing?
0: Absolutely. And, and exactly. That will give you
1: the energy that you actually need to, yep. to make those right. decisions. You can't change out of the I can't long term. That's right. And I think that's what right. keeps people from that is, is what you're talking about a minute ago is like the, the need based ideas and conditioning we have around yes. sex. Yes. Like I need it. And yeah. And, and so can you talk about that for a minute and expound on that? Like, is that
0: true? What can we switch that to? Well, well, I wouldn't, I would say you don't need it in the, in the true biological drive sense. That is anything that's actually a drive you need to live. So food is a drive. It's also a part of thriving. Sex isn't a drive in the technical sense. You don't need sex to survive. And as I've sometimes said, if you did, you'd see a lot of dead people at church. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are not having sex. And now you, I think you do need sexuality to thrive. And I don't mean to say that you can't thrive and not be in an intimate relationship. There are many ways to thrive. I think that you know, the happiest people are in an intimate relationship, emotionally and sexually. And probably the embracing of yourself, like you were talking about. Yeah, like you can bring your full self to a relationship. So it's definitely a part of thriving. And I don't dismiss the desire for it on any level. Mm-hmm. And I also don't dismiss the biological pressure that's there. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not here saying like good people would never uh, touch themselves. I, I'm not taking that position, Yeah. but always thinking about what is, what will create the most peace in my life and how do I handle my embodied sexual, sensual nature in ways that I feel good about in the relational context I exist within. So Yes, it is a part of thriving. And I can certainly understand why somebody would want to be in a meaningful, intimate relationship because it's it's really a part of happiness and joy to create it if you can.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Which kind of moves us to making these decisions. Mm -hmm. And how can we make decisions that are based on our integrity, especially when we're not taught, especially like I'm thinking from the LDS church point of view, I have listeners from, from all different types of religions, mostly conservative religions, but I mean, people aren't telling you exactly what to do they're sexual no. and they so shouldn't sure. be, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be right. Right. But, so, but we want someone to tell us exactly what to do. So maybe we'll, we'll hop into these questions that I have from a few listeners sure, and discuss these. So, so this first one says, I want to quit viewing porn, but I don't know if I should also cut out masturbation. I keep going back to, for the strength of youth pamphlet that says not to do anything to arouse these feelings. For those of you who are members of the church, it's just a a pamphlet for youth to help, help them, you know, have good values and stay clean, morally, morally clean. I
0: don't know if I like that word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I might yeah yeah help them to make sexually conservative choices. That's
1: a much better way of saying it. I could feel myself. Go. Okay. Anyway, so the the question continues, but over the years I've heard differing opinions about masturbation. I don't want my sexual decisions to be based off of fear and shame. I'm not sure what's wrong with masturbation. I'm just not really sure what the right thing to do
0: is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do you know if it's a man or a woman asking the question? It's a man. The man, yeah. But um, I do have women listeners too. So. Sure, of course. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is, well, let me let me give a couple thoughts about it. I'm just trying to remember the name of this author. It's um somebody Manson. He's written several books around two two young adult men about how to live good lives. And I'm sorry, I can't mm. think of his name right now. And he, did you mention it in your sexuality and singleton,
1: singledom article?
0: I don't think no? I did talk about him actually in the article. Cause okay. I think but I do talk about him in the, in the men's course I teach the art of loving. Okay. So one of the things that he just talks about when he's not a religious person is that a lot of men get caught in a kind of trap of masturbating and, or looking at porn. And in his view, it depletes them of a kind of energy that they need. To I don't think he's saying never, ever touch yourself. It's terrible. He's not saying that, Mm -hmm. but more that this can be kind of a way to release energy that you sort of need to move forward into the world to that, the kind of erotic energy or the Eros energy that's within you. If you're channeling it into doing difficult, challenging things, it can be helpful. And if you are like always sort of in this kind of, coddling place around your sensuality and your pleasure, you can actually deplete yourself of some of the psychological energy you need to go do challenging things, because mm-hmm. kind of one of the theses of his book is that moving into challenging behavior and going towards things that scare you, developing yourself outside of your comfort zone is what's going to develop psychological capacity within you. Mm -hmm. So he's not taking in any way a shaming position, but much more pragmatic in saying in a world in which porn is highly available to all of us, just like I would say Instagram and all these kinds of instant pleasures are available to us. A lot of us are throwing away our capacity at the kind of more immediate gratification that we can get. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people use porn and masturbation And a lot of things, food, Instagram, social media, shopping, shopping, all kinds of behaviors that we use them to kind of get a sense of of an antidote to the anxiety of living. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of pleasure is good. You know, a little bit of comfort as we're doing hard things is a good thing. But when we are kind of using it as a fast way to kind of just get a sense of ease it actually infects our ability to go forward and create capacity in our lives and in ourselves that helps us live meaningful lives, be capable of an intimate relationship. You Can't be capable of an intimate relationship if you haven't developed a self to share. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And
0: so if, if you're too too busy kind of keeping yourself out of the struggles of life, then that's a problem. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm not taking a, you know, Simple-minded. If you ever touch yourself, uh, that that's inherently bad and wrong. I, I just don't take that simple-minded of a view.
1: Yeah, one of those things again where you have to look at yourself and right. What does it mean
0: for you? What are you
1: doing? Right. Do if you using it to consume versus creating, like spending most of our lives consuming in this sexual yes. way, instead of creating what we really want, creating
0: a good life. Yeah. Exactly. That might
1: be something to look at.
0: Right. And that's where we, because can there's even- another extreme version of it too. Cause I've worked with clients that were like so terrified of arousing any sexual feelings mm-hmm. that they wouldn't go on a date. They wouldn't touch mm-hmm. themselves when, to clean themselves in the shower, you know, that, that kind of thing, because they were so afraid that any sexual feeling would make them sinful. Now, of course that's, you know, like kind of OCD, that's a high level of anxiety, but you know, there's a spectrum between those two realities. And so finding this balance of how do I, I'm less concerned about how, do you ever touch yourself or do you ever masturbate? And are you living a meaningful, good life in which you're moving forward, doing challenging things, have self-respect, feel good about the life you're living, feel capable of being known by others? Any extreme of this works against our ability to integrate our sexuality and our spirituality.
1: Yeah, beautiful. That's that's a great way of saying what I really try to embody here in the podcast is, less this is bad and more, are we creating the life that we really want to? That's right. And that's right. Learning the skills to stop feeling like we need to indulge or consume yes.
0: more than what exactly. is good for us. Exactly. I think a more positive message for like adolescents or young adults, than never touch yourself. It's terrible. It's is instead the idea of what is it that I desire? Mm-hmm. Now, most of us desire the ability to be in a loving sexually intimate relationship down the road to be in a meaningful, committed partnership. So then the question is, is what I'm doing leading me closer or farther from that? Because that's very different than, oh, I'm that makes me so terrible. Instead, yeah. like, I don't want to do this because I think this is interfering with me living the way that I would want to live to choose, to be able to choose somebody who's well-developed and be choosable by somebody who's well-developed. Yeah. So it's, it's reframing it in terms of desire, not shame and prohibition. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah and, and a great way to, to bring it back to this idea of using our sexual energy to go out and create this life that we want, that builds us as a person that yes. like you had said before, correct me if I'm saying this wrong, where, where you go out and create and develop to become someone that you would like
0: to be in a long-term committed That's relationship. That's right. Exactly. Because we tend to choose at the level that we have developed ourselves. And so yeah. you want to be attractive to other people that are also developed themselves, right? Because otherwise you'll create a kind of need, needy relationship one where you're either looking to somebody to give you a sense of self or looking to provide it for somebody because you need to feel strong stronger than they are but those need-based dynamics that are very common undermine desire and intimacy in marriage and so that self-developmental phase that single people are in is a very precious and important time for preparing oneself to be capable of intimacy in marriage you continue to grow when you're in marriage. So that's okay that we all are in development even when we get married. Mm-hmm. But you know, the more that you've developed a self you respect and feel good about, the more capable you are of creating an intimate partnership that you respect and feel good about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Thank you. Now, if I, I want to refrain, refrain this question a little bit too, because this is also something that I hear often from people is woke up in the middle of the night and I feel horrible because I had a moment and I masturbated and I do this about two times a month and what's wrong with me. And I'm, I'm just, what would you say
0: to someone who sounds baby? like you're a human being okay. <laughs> and you know, yeah, your body. So, so there is a biological basis for sexuality and especially in young adulthood, that those desires, that biological reality is pressing itself upon you. Right. Mm-hmm. So to be looking for some release is normal. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And this feels different than what we just talked about too. This is, yeah, this, this is might not be something
0: that's keeping you from creating great results in your life. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like this is more like your body is looking for some release. And when you're half asleep, it's, you know, or how, you know, you're, you know, this is similar to a wet dream. Yeah. It's some um, physiological release and it sounds normal and healthy and certainly okay. Yeah. Right. That's part of accepting your sexual nature. Yeah. If that if that makes us feel somehow shameful or bad, that's that in my view is more problematic Mm -hmm. rather than, yeah, I'm I'm a sexual being who's in a period of celibacy. This is not shocking. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I've chosen celibacy. So this isn't weird. It doesn't make me bad. And I can be okay with that as I'm making these deliberate choices. Yeah, And I love too. that reframe there too.
1: Like I've chosen to be celibate and this is a, this is a
0: natural reality that's going to yeah. come out of that chosen celibacy. And yeah. some of us just need a little bit better sex education <laughs> as a, yes, so that we, that's right. That's right. You see
1: it that exactly. way. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I want to make sure to differentiate between those two. Cause I, I have listeners who are on both sides of
0: yes. Yeah.
1: Is there Mm -hmm. anything you would say because you asked, well, is this a male or a woman who has this question? Is there anything you'd say
0: to a woman? Well, I was just in particular thinking of the author who was speaking to men. So he was just talking about this kind of, you know, that in his view, like refraining from masturbation actually helps you have more of the drive and the courage that you may need. So he was actually putting it as more of a strategy. I think with women, you know, interestingly, my, now my dissertation was a qualitative study. So I don't have like huge numbers that then can say this applies to the population of religious clients as, as a whole, but interestingly, women who transitioned most comfortably into marriage, all had masturbated as adolescents. Now, many of them had decided, you know, like, and the other thing, it's very important, is they saw it as a positive thing. So that is to say, they they maybe didn't think, hey, I should masturbate, no problem, but they saw their capacity for pleasure as a positive thing. Mm. They were excited about it. They thought, you know, I look forward to being able to be sexual someday. But and and many of them made a decision to not touch themselves as a kind of deliberate waiting, but out of a place of conscious choosing, not shame. Yeah. Nonetheless because they already knew their sexuality on some level because they already integrated it in the sense that they felt good about its existence that really set them up to say okay now i really want to explore and develop this part of myself and figure out how to have this pleasure when i'm with you because i already kind of know what i'm looking for so that they were actually much more capable of creating a marriage a sexually intimate marriage than people who knew nothing about their pleasure, than women who knew nothing about their pleasure, knew nothing about their ability to experience arousal, and sometimes didn't know anything because they were pushing it away. Yeah. For example, I have a client who had sexual feelings and felt so afraid of them, pushed them down, pushed them down, felt like this made her bad. And then once she got married, it was under like, you know, layers and layers and layers of anxiety and shame. And so to somehow be able to f- uncover it and have it be integrated into her sense of self, she only knew a servicing model. It was also a way of not having to make the sexuality hers. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because she's like, on what basis would I make it mine? This is not a good part of being a woman.
1: Right. Again, so, I, this,
0: this exists for me to help you. Exactly. This is me to service a husband. yeah. And so even if she could allow him to be sexual with her on her, you know, he, she wasn't ever showing up and being sexual with him.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Back to this idea that I love, like using our sexuality for good is also just using it for good to embrace us. Yes. Embrace ourselves, love Yes, all of this part of us. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing.
0: Yeah. That God created us, gave us the bodies and declared it good. Yeah, and we a lot of us really struggle with that. We're like, good, oh well, maybe everything good except for the bad parts, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of us, out of our parents' fear, we inherited their anxiety. A lot of us feel like it would be bad to think of my vulva as good, mm-hmm. and that's just actually not to accept the gift of our embodied sensual and sexual natures. They're, they're a gift to us. Yeah. So I think we we need to take that. Theology seriously. Yeah. And for my listeners who just
1: encourage you to maybe start to open your mind and be willing to see things a little Mm. bit differently around your sexuality. And, like, what if it was true that my sexuality
0: was from God? What Mm -hmm. if it wasn't a bad thing? Could it be true? I I think a way I would say it is our bodies are from God. So, kind of, no matter your faith, if you believe that you're here and God is overseeing this project that your embodiment is meant to be, it would be a pretty cruel God to give you a body that you should then reject. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I understand that in maybe in LDS theology, it's more explicit, but I do think one has to think about, would I, do I believe in a God that would kind of torture me with, uh, with sexuality? Because that's not a very kind God, as opposed to a God that wants us to thrive, that wants us to have joy through the way we relate to ourselves and others. You know, Christ was very clear about that love leads the way, that love is the highest commandment, right? So, what is a loving way to be in relationship to my body, in relationship to a partner, in relationship to others? that is loving and creates strength for all of us. Right. So I think that's a, a deep theology that most faiths have and can lead the way in thinking about how to relate to your embodied and sexual nature.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. I think that is all we covered everything. We're about out of time. Um, So is is there anything else that you want to say to my audience of people who are
0: trying to quit porn? Well, I think one thing I would say is that sometimes, and, you know, I've said more about this on other podcasts. So if people want to hear more of my thoughts about this on others that, you know, they could on my website, you can put in pornography and you'll get all the podcasts where I talk about this topic, but I do think that part of what can drive the compulsivity around porn or video games or anything like that, where you feel sort of compulsively drawn to it, is that sense of shame, of course, but also the feeling like I am out of control or it it controls me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And I think the more that you own that you do choose it, and that you are choosing it for a reason, the more it facilitates you getting into the driver's seat. I am going to it on purpose. And what am I hoping it's solving for me? Yes. And what is it solving that? And what is it creating? So rather than I shouldn't, and everybody knows I shouldn't, and this makes me bad, more like, no, I really do have choices. And how do I feel about what my choosing, even if it doesn't feel like a choice, I'm still ultimately behaviorally choosing it. And what is it creating in me? What's it creating in my life? Am I okay with that? Mm -hmm. Do I want that in my life? Why or why not? And who do I want to be for myself around this? So, my my point is that when we kind of make it external and we shouldn't, and it's sort of outside of us, right. As opposed to, I don't have to, I don't have to be celibate. You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm choosing celibacy. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe people, other people think that's a good idea. Maybe I've learned that in my religious upbringing, but I am the architect of my life. I'm the chooser and I live within the consequences of my choices. I'm choosing how I'm in relationship to porn. And it's accruing to something. And what do I feel about what it's accruing to? Because the more that you are seeing yourself as the actor and the one living in the consequences, the easier it is to make different choices because you see yourself as the architect, not someone being acted upon and in this kind of external locus of control, because that drives a lot of self-hatred and compulsivity. Mm. Yeah. So maybe if I didn't
1: it is mm. neutralizing it a little. And so mm-hmm. it's not so shameful or yeah. so good, but it's just a choice. Mm-hmm. This is what it accomplishes for me. Maybe I escape this mm-hmm. pain for yeah, a Yeah. Here's minute. the upside. I Here
0: I... are the downsides. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, which one do I really want? And can see? I live with the upside and the downside? And if not, why not? What is, it's a very kind thing to do for oneself, actually, to really be more thoughtful about, do I like what this is? You know, I try to never say to myself, I can't have a piece of chocolate cake because yeah. then I'll eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more likely, you or know, then I eat one. the whole cake later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like, I'm a terrible person because I ate a piece of cake. Well, that's more likely to a second piece. Then just like, no, how, who am I and how do I want to be in relationship to these pleasures and what will create the, what will allow me to be the person I want to be? So the more it's in this, I'm the decider, I'm the chooser, and I live in the consequences, I alone do, that makes it easier. Now, there's a lot more to say on this topic, but that's at least just shifting it from the external to the internal is a very important first step. Yeah. Thank you.
1: That's super helpful. Thank you for everything that you've shared today and for coming on the podcast. Just awesome.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate review and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.